And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On race weekend, all eyes are on the driver. But behind every podium place, there's a team of off-track heroes working hard to power on-track success. As an official partner of the McLaren Formula 1 team, Smartsheet is showcasing how McLaren's off-track heroes drive success for their team. But Smartsheet's commitment to supporting off-track heroes doesn't end when the race season does. As champions and facilitators of powerful processes, the Smartsheet platform helps off-track heroes across the world put their teams in pole position every day of the year. Want to join the celebration and start powering your process? Visit smartsheet.com today to get involved. The Athletic. The race is on, and with Formula One heading to Silverstone, the site of a key swing against him in last year's title fight, Max Verstappen is starting to run away with the World Championship. But how well is he driving? And what are the chances of Ferrari and Charles Leclerc finding a weakness to exploit? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell and Claire Cottingham. Scott, hello, how are you? Brand new office you're joining us from, which is obviously a great thing to communicate on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. As, as everybody listening to this can see, it's a very, very, very nice background, nice new background. I've got a nice soft uh, light blue on the wall. I've gone for a very, very faint pastel colour. I didn't want to have it completely... Uh, why? But obviously, everyone can see that. Um, they they don't need me to explain the the the, the colours the colours to them. But yeah, I'm all good. How are you? I'm absolutely fine. I'm now officially non-COVIDed, which is uh, which is good. So uh, I can't complain, and that means I'm all set for Silverstone. And also joining us, special guest Claire Cottingham from RaceFans.net. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I haven't redone any of my room, which you wouldn't have known anyway, because I've only been on this podcast once. Um, Scott, can't really see much different in yours, to be fair. Um, still looks pretty much the same, if I'm really honest. It's it's completely, it's literally, first of all, in a completely different room. I'm, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, there's, <laughs> I have, uh, I've taken the opportunity to, to, to rent a little studio apartment oh. in the same building as the flat that I live in. And I basically turned this into an office. So there's, I, and I've been, I basically spent an entire week building flat pack furniture. There's a new cabinet behind me, for goodness sake. Two years, two years I've spent on FIA press conference Zoom calls where people have been able to see into my living room. This is not my living. I'm furious at this. I was, I was about to say, at least the furniture's the same in the background, but not even that is. I'm so sorry. There are some similarities, the pictures and things, and the steering wheel and stuff. So in my defence. It does look pretty similar. To be fair, I only have a finite like number of items that I own, so it was quite it was difficult to populate an entire new room by myself. But I've managed to do it. I'm quite happy with it, and as everybody can tell, it's obviously um, massively increasing my podcast contribution quality as well. So win win win. Yeah, this is absolutely classic uh, podcast 
viewing, as you can see, because, you know, podcasts you only listen to, but we'll take a picture, put it on social media, do that. Oh, that's a good okay. idea. Also, we can let people paint a picture with their minds of what the uh, what the backdrops look like. I think it looks the, the same as the other one. It, it, it does look similar, but uh, <laughs> similar but uh, but different. And at this moment, it's funny though because Scott has just frozen, so who knows whether he can, he can still. Hear. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just holding myself. Oh no, you you were ju- you were just amazed. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what level of insult and I have to respond to, but it's okay. I was going to ask you how the commute is to your new office. I so much like what was really frustrating about the old one was walking about seven seconds from bed to to desk, and now. I've got a breezy 30 second commute. Walk down walk down about 12 steps, walk along a corridor and then open a door. That's basically my morning commute now. It's brilliant. I see so much more of the world this way. I'm really excited to see how much of this is going to be edited out by the uh, producer when it comes to listening to the podcast back. Not that this isn't fascinating, Scott. If anything of this, if any of this is edited out, then I will uh, I will never appear on an episode of the Race F1 podcast again. So We did it. We did it. <laughs> that was always the aim. But it's it's good to give people a bit of a, a view behind the scenes. And uh, well, in my case, my backdrop's not very interesting because it's just sort of a, a slightly off-white wall. So I need to work a little bit harder when it you comes. You should go for that. a light, go for like a pastel light blue. Ed. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it's 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 transformative. Perhaps I should go the Adrian Newey route. Remember, he he painted his McLaren office duck blue, which uh, Ron Dennis didn't like. Isn't it duck egg blue? It might be duck egg blue. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, there. I don't, I I don't, like I don't know. I don't know too many. There, there aren't many blue ducks, are there? <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, yeah. The, the egg is blue. <laughs> this, this, the pod, this podcast better pick up from here, otherwise everybody listening is going to be so angry. Well, we wanted to bring a little bit of nature to, to it, so we've had some interior design, a little bit of a little bit of nature. So who knows where we'll go? Well, I know where we're going to go next. But oh, Scott, this is the reason why we've been uh, nominated for an award, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, yes, we have indeed. Uh, it's the, the British Podcast Awards. So, yes, that's uh, another award nomination. I say another. I think that's about our second award nomination. So that's, that's not too bad. That's okay. We'll, 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 we'll get there one day. We'll get there one day. Exactly, exactly. And let's push on our hopefully award-winning way by turning our attention to Formula One again. Let's talk about the championship battle, Scott. Max Verstappen. Heads to Silverstone off the back of a run of five wins in six races. He's got a commanding world championship lead. What do you make of the 2022 version of Max Verstappen? I don't think he's too different to the 2021 version, which in turn wasn't that different to the late 2020 version because I just feel like for the last sort of two years or so now, certainly, certainly 2020 was when Verstappen stepped up and just became a much more well-rounded driver a lot of the um a lot of the big dips and misjudgments had sort of been eradicated there were still a few over the course of 2020 but I I I remember going into last year thinking I'm pretty sure he's got what it takes to go straight into a a championship fight and and that's exactly what he did obviously we saw a few times emotion get the better of him in what was such a crazy and highly charged battle with Lewis Hamilton but Generally speaking, I think Max did a, a very, very good job of coping with it. He's so, so good under pressure. And what we've seen from this year, I think, if there is any kind of evolution, it's in that he now finds himself in a championship challenging position with a very different set of strengths and weaknesses in his package versus his title rivals. We've we've seen the characteristic this year of the Ferrari generally trending quicker over one lap and the Red Bull being faster in the races so that's why Leclerc Charles Leclerc has what is it six poles to Max's two but you flip those numbers for for race wins so Verstappen's been very very good this year at working working towards sort of the races as, as the end goal he does, no there's been a couple of races he's had a car advantage but nothing too dramatic and it's been a it's been a bit more of an effort this year for him to get absolutely everything out of it the car which we can talk to talk about a little bit more I suppose in a bit isn't necessarily 100% to his liking yet. Red Bull's not completely there. So he has to chip away at it a little bit more. He has to be a bit more patient in his process through the weekend. And then it comes to Sunday. And when the car doesn't break down, he tends to do a fantastic job at maximising the result, which is why despite two retirements this year, despite only two pole positions, he's got those six wins and he's got a massive championship lead. And certainly he seems to have that air of someone who really knows what he's doing. I mean, Claire, you hear from Max Verstappen a lot. He's very, very good at downplaying things, keeping a lid on things, not letting stuff get out of control most of the time, at least anyway, isn't he? 
Yeah, it's really interesting this season because obviously we had this ferocious battle between Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton last season. We had all these words that were thrown around between both drivers and that sort of behaviour filters down from the top, really. If your team principals are allowing those sorts of words and that behaviour, the drivers sort of follow. Um, but this year it's, be, it's much more interesting because the fight between Red Bull and Ferrari is, is significantly different, really. Not only because we're seeing reliability issues from both teams, Sergio Perez retiring Canada and both Ferraris in Baku the race before. So it's it's a very different sort of game of cat and mouse really where where no one's really sure who's even going to finish the race at this point. So I think for Max he's he's massively taken a, a sort of step back in a way and just allowed whatever is happening on track as Scott said to sort of wash over him and capitalize whenever he can. In terms of his personality he's pretty much the same um, maybe a bit more chilled out, even more chilled out. He's got the monkey off his back in some sort of ways with his world championship. But we heard him say last year, if he wins a world championship, that's sort of it. And anything other than that is a bit of a bonus. So there will be a mind a mind frame change in that sort of way. He's not fighting for what he was fighting for last year. But it has been an interesting an interesting start to the season in terms of how he's approaching a different championship with a different team. I think what's been different this year in terms of Verstappen's sort of emotional side in the car is that he, I think he he's learned from last year about not not being able to afford to just throw away points, and we've seen a few times that it's got under his skin when Red Bull just hasn't been able to get on top of small problems like they, they've obviously I've, Perez would disagree after what happened in Canada, but they've got on top of by and large the the really big reliability troubles the. The, the the issue that really plagued Verstappen's start to the season. But there have still been these minor setbacks uh, at different times. You know, he was worried that his Miami weekend was going to be derailed by the problems he had in Friday practice. He had the the DRS issue in, in, in Spain and there was another little problem at the start of the Azerbaijan weekend. And it was just, we, we've just had these moments in high pressure situations where we've heard him snap over the radio and he's just not really been very, very happy. And, Generally, like I said last year, he was sort of in control of that. But towards the end of the season, when it got really, really bad, he he did start. It did start to sort of affect him slightly because I think he is ultimately a very calm person and driver up to a certain point. Everyone has a everyone has a level at which they get to, and then it just spills over and the red mist descends. I, I think it's impossible not to for for that not to happen when the adrenaline is properly pumping and and so much is on the line and. We've seen that in a different way this year, obviously at the start of the season. I think he was just a bit tense. I think he was worried knowing that he was playing catch up in those first few races. So I think it was just getting a little bit overwhelming in certain ways, but not to a point where I thought it was unreasonable. I didn't I didn't really feel like he was lashing out in a way that other drivers wouldn't lash out in such situations. And obviously since he's gained control of it again, since Spain, since he won and Leclerc retired, We've seen a much more relaxed version because he's been leading from the front, not playing catch up. So it is it's interesting how how that fluctuates. I I would hate for anyone to think we're suggesting that Verstappen is this perfect robotic driver that that, that doesn't sort of deviate from the course. It's it's far from that. It's just obviously very much circumstance driven. I think also it's interesting to look. I'm trying to remember last year when the game, the mind game sort of started between Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton and, and Max, Verstappen, Max Verstappen and and Red Bull. I'm trying to remember sort of at this point in the season, was it already starting? Because it's very easy, isn't it, to remember the end of last year and especially the second half after, you know, the Italian Grand Prix and all that sort of stuff that we saw. How, how ferocious it got and how much they were throwing things around at each other at this point in the season last year was it already quite heated I can't remember yeah I think it was because I think it it was as early as the third round if if I remember correctly we had Toto Wolf going into the I think the Portuguese Grand Prix was the third round of the season and it was before that race that Toto said that Red Bull had basically let Merck off the hook because they'd started the season Mercedes with the car not in a great place in Bahrain and Imola but had come away from that in a really good position in both championships and his suggestion was that Red Bull had basically under delivered with a better package and that was the first real sign 
And then obviously we got to Monaco and Monaco week was quite a little, quite a bit of trading blows between Hamilton, Verstappen, Horner, Wolf. So it was starting to escalate, but obviously it hadn't kicked off yet. We're, we're about to go into the race where it really kicked off last year. <laughs> well, sometimes you do need that final moment where it all explodes, doesn't it? It's like everything up to Silverstone, that the tension was building. And the question kept being asked, when are Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton going to properly come together? And they kept saying, oh, no, it won't happen. But there was that feeling. If they kept crossing swords, it would eventually happen. So I guess the big question is whether with Verstappen and Leclerc, it's inevitable. It, it feels a little bit different. And I think also one of the things is that the FIA did at the start of the season clarify its overtaking rules etc and I think that did cast some slightly different light on what would and would not be allowed and I think Verstappen's taken that on board as well because Verstappen he's a racing driver he's a sporting competitor he'll he'll do what what the rules what he feels the rules will allow him to and I think he's probably adjusted a little bit this year as well as any intelligent good driver will do so do we feel there's that same sense that there will be a flashpoint between Leclerc and Verstappen or is it just not the same? I think it's inevitable that we will see something happen between the two, especially with uh, Carlos Sainz being um, quite an aggressive driver as well. Um, I think with Charles Leclerc, he's 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 more of, and I probably will get in trouble for saying this, but he's more of a Bottas in terms of the way that he is aggressive. I, I feel like he has massively changed his driving style this year, but is he at the same aggression level as, say, Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen? I don't think so. So he might be thinking in his head more about points, especially with what's been going on with reliability and in terms of the championship slipping away in, in some sort of way over the last couple of races from him. The amount of points that Red Bull and Max Verstappen have accumulated because of these issues that Ferrari have had. He might be thinking a little bit more savvy. Second place is better than fighting for a win. Probably not for a racing driver, if I'm really, really honest. But but we could see something along these lines, I think, with Charles Leclerc. He might be thinking long game rather than fighting for a win each time. I actually wonder if um, we'll see the opposite and Leclerc will take more and more risks because he's got a massive points deficit he needs to catch up. So for him, it's almost a case of nothing really to lose. If the, if him and Verstappen are going 50-50 into one corner and Verstappen's not yielding, what's Leclerc got to lose in that situation from a from from a collision? I don't think he's going to go out there and this is a this is a distinction I always make with aggressive drivers. I don't think he'll go out there deliberately causing accidents, but I wonder if there'll be an element of he won't he won't care if if there's an accident because it, he's not the one with the massive points lead to protect. So It will be very interesting to see. Generally speaking, Leclerc is is not a is not the sort of driver who absolutely sort of sends one down the inside from 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 miles back. I I absolutely agree with that. But he can be very very effective in battle, and he's got um, he's got a bit of history with Verstappen. They've got a long standing rivalry. I think it has developed into one that has ultimately been underpinned by by respect. So. I don't think I don't think it will necessarily get nasty, but I think because Leclerc has to take some risks, I think because of the way we know that Verstappen is wired as a driver, I think there could absolutely be the sort of situation this year where they do go wheel to wheel eventually because they haven't for a few races, so it's been it's been a bit weird, um, and I don't really think either will necessarily yield. So I I agree with with what Claire said about it almost being inevitable that that there will be a flashpoint of some kind. It's just the points gap is so big that at the moment for at least, I mean, obviously unless Verstappen goes on a horrific run of races and Leclerc wins, um, I, I I think it's going to take a while if it will happen at all that we'll get to the level of, Le- uh, of Verstappen Hamilton angst from last year because one of the reasons that it got so tense last year between them and it spilled over was because there were a handful of points between them and one position could swing the championship completely the other way. Whereas there is a little bit more room here. And so, so for Verstappen, one race doesn't make or break everything. So it will be very, very interesting. It also ultimately comes down completely to their respective mindsets. I think you could probably argue that the situation they're in at the moment could play out about 10 different ways. I think also it's worth um, pointing out at this at this stage is that we had the new regulations coming in this season. So last year, it could have been that Max might have thought that the new Red Bull coming into the 2022 season wasn't going to be as competitive, even though clearly it probably was, as it was last year. He might have thought that that was 
maybe one of his, not last chances, but the same with Lewis. It could have been one of his last chances for a championship because so much was changing coming into into this season. Whereas now, I think for Ferrari and for Red Bull, they've, they've managed to hook it up um, pretty well, bar the reliability issues. And from now, it's it's about working on this new car and working towards the next couple of years. So there is a bit of breathing space, I think, for both sides. One thing that does interest me, given we're going back to Silverstone, is if Verstappen slightly modifies his approach when he's in a strong position. Obviously, last year at Silverstone, he was 32 points ahead. And while I'm wary about opening this one up again, Verstappen was not at fault for the cops' collision. But I always look at how drivers could have played it. And I think that regardless of the whys and wherefores of that accident, Verstappen, with the points position he was in, would probably have been better off thinking discretion was the better part on that particular occasion. And that would have helped him championship-wise. So it'll be interesting if there is a situation where he's under attack from Leclerc, whether he's willing to cede a bit more ground, even if he doesn't have to, just to shore up his own position. The only difficult thing is, though, the chance of a Ferrari attacking a a Red Bull properly in a race, given the performance characteristics of those cars, is is not necessarily so high. So I'm not 100% sure it's the kind of thing that will happen. But I'm interested to see how Verstappen might react in that situation next time. Especially because we haven't seen the two of them fight one another since Verstappen took the advantage in the championship. So we've seen them go wheel to wheel when Verstappen's been on the back foot and trying to claw back ground. But since Verstappen took charge, which was obviously the result of the Spanish Grand Prix, um, they weren't fighting in Monaco. They were were fighting in terms of strategy in Azerbaijan until Leclerc's engine went. That, That could have resulted in a good wheel to wheel scrap. And obviously Leclerc started from the back in Canada. And that, that's that been the run of races where Verstappen's had the points lead. So we haven't actually seen these two fight when Verstappen's got a lead to protect. We don't actually know how he'll play it. We know that when he fought Hamilton last year, he wasn't willing to compromise or concede at all. He didn't want to change his approach. But because of the nature of that season and the toll that it took on everybody, you do have to wonder whether or not that will have informed Verstappen and make him play it a bit differently if he's got a big championship lead this time around, especially when he's got such a big championship lead as he does at the moment. And if it has, that'll make him even more formidable as a championship contender and uh, potentially a two-time championship winner by the end of this year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, Claire, let's talk about Yuri Vips for all the wrong reasons, sadly. The Formula 2 racer has been suspended from Red Bull's junior programme pending a full investigation after allegedly using a racial slur on a Twitch stream. Red Bull says it has a zero tolerance policy on racist language and behaviour, while Vips has apologised. What do you make of this whole situation? So firstly, I, I saw it break on, on Twitter um, first and um, and so I watched the video back and, and firstly, Red Bull were absolutely right to take a stand. What was allegedly said was unacceptable and for me, it was more worrying that a 21-year-old had that sort of word in their vocabulary and that they thought it was acceptable to use um, on, a, on a live Twitch stream. It's not an isolated issue. We have seen this happen with a, a couple of different drivers um, throughout the years. Um, Carl Larson, who was suspended by NASCAR, had um, a similar issue. Um, he returned to racing. But it, it's more about, I think at this point, why maybe they thought it was acceptable to use a word and use such language. And I think also there's something to be said about safeguarding within within Red Bull. If you're allowing your drivers to go out there and and use these live streams at, at young ages. 21 is is a young age. You're still learning. You're still educating yourself. There's still many things that you haven't learned within life. And especially for drivers, they're very, very sheltered in terms of how they're, you know, brought up and, and what they do. And, and I think it's just, it, it raises a lot of questions about about language and, and about why these words were being used. It's a it's a complex scenario and it's a, 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 a I just I feel that he has now ruined his career and whether he can get that back on track I don't know 
But at the end of the day, the words that he used were not acceptable and Red Bull had to make a stand. And that's, that's for me, the, the line that is drawn. They're going to investigate it. They're going to look into it more. But, it, but it's concerning that these words are still being, being thrown around in that sort of way. Obviously, the, the key thing here, the evidence is fairly easy to find and, and not especially uh, ambiguous, let's, let's say. So Eurovips is going to pay the consequences for this kind of thing. But it, it is interesting to ask kind of how, how this arises. And you, you'd expect somebody in an international milieu, at least, who's exposed to a lot of different people through where he's been racing, etc., would probably stand that. But there is the element of, obviously, he won't necessarily have realised the the full implications of of this choice of words. He can't have done. If if he did, then that raises a whole other questions. But it does show that there needs to be some educational element here, some question, as you're alluding to, Claire, as to why this was happening. What do you make of it, Scott? Is there a, is there a wider concern for just young racing drivers in, in general or young people in general? Well, I think, um, I think it's... I think it's the sort of thing that people will overreact to in the sense of suggestion, suggesting that drivers can't, oh, they can't be themselves or say what they want anymore. So what I'm saying is not overreact in terms of being outraged by what's been said, because that's a valid reaction, because that's the sort of language that absolutely should have been stamped out a very long time ago. But overreact in, in that not really understanding why it matters. And it's ultimately, it's not about not being able to say things. You can say what you want. You just have to take responsibility for it. Um, whether that's because you've said it with intent and it's been malicious and therefore you need to uh, basically take a long, hard look at yourself and think about why it is you're using that language and what you're trying to achieve. And if it's just said purely out of ignorance, then it is an educational process. And that I think there does need to be there does need to be a lenience in in terms of allowing for that to happen. Yuri is 21 years old. There are a lot of people who know him very well and are very surprised by the fact that he's used that language. One of the one of the drivers who has I don't want to say supported him because that, that makes it sound like they're defending or justifying him using the word, but one of the people who has come out and basically given him a character reference afterwards is um, Inam Ahmed, who is now racing out in the on the, the, the US racing junior single-seater ladder. He came through the, the, the ranks in Britain and European splendid, splendid kart driver. Didn't quite make the progress he wanted to in single-seaters in Europe. Um, but Inam, who is, uh, is a, a Pakistani driver, said that Yuri is one of the few people he's encountered through his junior career who has never made jokes at his expense and that that kind of thing. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because I think it's important that a driver who, or a person rather, who can say the wrong thing and it can genuinely be a mistake. It's a stupid mistake, it, absolutely, and it is ignorant and it needs to be addressed and it needs to be learned from, but it can be a mistake. And there there is precedent for you know a driver taking a punishment in this kind of situation, learning from it, understanding why what was wrong and coming back from it. The most prominent example being Kyle Larson, who was suspended um, for using the exact same word uh, in, a, in a gaming stream back in, I think during the pandemic, was uh, suspended, but he came back and, and won his first NASCAR championship. So it doesn't have to be the end of Yuri's career and I would imagine there will be more opportunities for him as a result of this. But just on a personal level, you have to hope that it's such a serious set of consequences and we'll have to wait and see what exactly the action is that Red Bull take and whether they help him in terms of um, that educational process. But he has to learn from it on a personal level. What you can't do in this situation is just let someone off the hook and just say, oh, everybody gets one. There has to be an element of rehabilitation. It sounds like a very strong word because we normally use that for when people, you know, are convicted of criminal offences and go to prison and that kind of thing. But rehabilitation is just a, it's, it's a part of being human. You, you make mistakes. There's stuff you don't know about. There's, there's things you do that you need to do better. And it's all about just trying to evolve as a person. And that is a process he needs to go through now. It is a difficult one, isn't it? Because this specific word is a word that, that is is well known um in in my view it's a well known word that i i would never use as a white person um so i i don't think 
And I, I do agree that there needs to be the educational side of things because I think that is the only way that people grow in the education. But I think I struggle in, in the fact that that would never be in my vocabulary to say. Um, there was also some other comments made about uh, wearing a pink hat as well. There were some comments as well that that came from the same Twitch stream. So uh, though I think, yes, education is is absolutely what this driver needs. I I still just can't understand in, in a time when we are more educated with a driver like Lewis Hamilton, who's coming out and talking a lot about diversity. He only just recently came out and, and defended some um, horrific abuse that Naomi Schiff got on, on social media. We are understanding that, that this is, that's not an acceptable word. So it, it's, a, it's a really tricky one, especially for, for a 21-year-old driver. Yeah, the answer probably is that we see a lot of teams quite rightly getting on board with diversity initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that's something that does need to be a formal component in terms of driver training or whatever. It's not even something that needs to happen constantly. No, it can be quite a, a quite a small amount of time can be spent on it. It can make big differences. Funny enough, I was reading a book uh, a book about bias actually that, that addressed some of this and the benefits of having this kind of education. And and there are clear positives and benefits and it means that nobody's kind of got any excuse for 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 not knowing but yeah you have to balance it up certainly there should be consequences for it but certainly there should also be some attempt to let people learn and understand because nobody nobody's sort of been through the exact existence that Yuri Vips has so who, who knows where it came from and and what what it is that means he thinks it's acceptable to do that so yeah, that there needs to be there needs to be decisive action. But I also don't believe in people being condemned for life, shall we say. Certainly not for, for one offence. I think that's an important principle, but that's not an excuse for no action at all. Well, let's turn our attention now to Grid Rival, the fancy motorsport game that me and Scott are doing battle in in mid-table mediocrity in the race's own league. I'm currently a very respectable 491st, that top 500. That's always the, the goal. I've got a few decisions to make as I've only got three drivers signed up, two of them Alfa Romeo drivers, so I need a couple of drivers and a constructor. Any big decisions for you, Scott? I've got one space to fill and quite a lot of uh, cash to spend. So I need to work out whether I just go with the best available driver within that spend or whether I make a saving elsewhere and, you know, make a couple of changes and, and spread the spread that cash around a little bit. But not too bad. I am uh, safely ensconced within the top 400 in, in our league. So I'm miles in front of you um, and fairly, fairly optimistic that I can push on now that I... It's taken me a while, but I have... Uh, Started to I've started to work out some of the nuances of the game. For example, remembering the deadline and making sure I actually set a talent driver. <laughs> yeah, some of those things are always quite important. I got uh, caught out by my two-driver roster in Montreal, which has not helped. But uh, yeah, I'm getting there, and it's it's quite fun to try and work out the strategies. The uh, the way the lineups and the money works makes it quite an interesting game to play. Grid Rival is open for sign-ups, and we'll be tracking progress over the year. So download the Grid Rival app or visit the website so you can get involved. The link is in the episode description on this podcast. Well, Scott, it's been a while since we delved into the driver market. Recent confirmation that Pierre Gasly will stay on AlphaTauri. Another piece of the puzzle is in place. So what does that mean for Gasly? I completely threw myself then because even though you were saying uh, Pierre Gasly in my head, I was so ready to dive into a massive uh, monologue about Oscar Piastri because I was gearing up <laughs> for, for for that when we had V1 of the, the, the outline for this podcast. And then obviously during our preparation, we've learned about um, Pierre Gasly being uh, being confirmed at AlphaTauri for, for 2023, which has caused a rejig, which you did tell me about. You're an excellent podcast host and you're very well organised. I just completely forgot, wasn't really listening to your question and I was in Piastri mode and then I heard the name Pierre Gasly, which is not not dissimilar, but uh, but definitely not the same. Um, I think for Pierre, it's a uh, well, holding pattern, isn't it? It's, um, it's not really a massive surprise. It's also not exactly ideal for him. Um, I think he's basically, it pushes a significant decision about his future just 12 months down the down the road that that's all it is he he was at a career, career crossroads the decision isn't his for for next year so he'll be at that career crossroads again in 12 months time does he leave the red bull family can he leave the red bull family is alfatari a team that can actually give him what he wants does he have to accept being a career alfatari driver forever uh, it's it's not a bad position to be in which i think has sort of been your position this entire time ed that there are worse places to be on on the grid while you're trying to work it out but he had designs on that Red Bull racing seat didn't he even though 
Rebels never looked particularly keen on taking him back. So I think this is a um, bit of a marriage of convenience that goes on a little bit longer. Claire, do you feel a bit sorry for Pierre Gasly being stuck there or do you think it's the right place for him? I don't know if it's the right place for him, but it's a, it's it's like you said, it's, it's not a bad place to be. You're currently a Formula One driver and you, you're signed for next season. There's some drivers on the grid that, you know, they're, they're questioning their, if they're going to get to the end of a full season this year. So he absolutely is in a privileged position. Whether it's the right privileged position is a completely different question. But he could, at this point, hold out next year at AlphaTauri and there could be then a slot at McLaren, maybe, if Daniel Ricciardo decides to leave. Or there could be a slot at Mercedes if Lewis Hamilton decides to leave. There will be some shaking around over the next year or so in terms of where drivers are and what they're doing. And and so I, I don't know. It could be a case that he, he could bide his time where he is. Um, it, it does it does beg the question a bit more about how Red Bull's um, junior programme works because obviously with... Pierre Gasly sitting in a seat for another year. What is it? Five five years he's been at AlphaTauri now. You know he's he's stopping the um, progression of a, a another driver, so to speak. Um, so I think there is there is a problematic issue there in terms of where do your drivers go if they can't go into that junior seat at AlphaTauri. We're not sure what Yuki's doing next uh, next season, but. Um, <sighs> Whether it's whether it's a, a good or a bad, I mean, it's it's a seat, and that's what F one drivers want. They want to be fighting to to get wins, and he's proved that he is a race winning driver, uh, winning in in Monza in twenty twenty. I mean, is, is it good or is it bad? I, I don't know. I think it's for now. I don't think he has a choice. I think he he just has to keep showing that he has got the talent. He's what twenty six now. There are still opportunities and. I think the way that his Red Bull career panned out was was a shame um, in terms of being changed mid-season and not really be given, being given the opportunity to do a full season um, at the senior team. But essentially, I think it's fine. I, I think it's fine. <laughs> That's a fairly fair summary. It's difficult for Gasly. I think Red Bull are always reluctant to consider bringing him back. So I think there were some question marks about his approach whether it gelled well with the team. I suspect if they were to bring back a driver, it'd be more likely to be Alex Albon, who's, of course, still under contract to them, even though he's uh, Williams. So, yeah, it's it's neither great nor terrible for Pierre Gasly to be where he is, so can't complain too much about that. Scott, I've got this funny feeling you want to talk about Oscar Piastri. I don't know where I've got that from. <laughs> Sorry, Ed, you want me to talk about Pierre Gasly, yeah? <laughs> any, any rhyming driver, yes. Yeah, OK. Um yeah, no, it looks uh, it looks pretty encouraging for Oscar at the moment, and uh, the, the the many fans who were rightly aggrieved on on his behalf that he wasn't able to get a seat on the F1 grid for for this season. Um, he has a junior career that would be the envy of most in Formula One. Um, his record as a back to back rookie champion in Formula Three and Formula Two matched only by Charles Leclerc and George Russell. Whatever happened to those two drivers? Um, so I think. Piastri was very sensible, very mature about it, very patient. He took the Alpine reserve driver role with the promise of a couple of FP1 outings and a lot of 2021 car testing. And he made sure that Alpine had to get him a seat, basically, on the 2023 grid. And that looks like it's going to happen. I'm expecting to see Piastri line up in a Williams next year, um, probably alongside Alex Albon. Um, so in place of Nicholas Latifi, uh, obviously that I'm going to attempt fate massively now um, with a, a a small delay between us recording this podcast and it being released for people to listen to. Uh, it isn't confirmed at the time of uh, recording. It's been played down a little bit by a couple of people involved. Williams have sort of only said that Piastri is one of the drivers on on, on their list of, of options for next year, but Alpine have said they expect Piastri to be on, on the grid. That is currently the plan, and it does look like it will be with Williams. Yeah, that's a logical place for him to go. Of course, Fernando Alonso are expecting him to, to get a new Alpine deal. What do you make of Alonso, Claire? There are some who say he's old and he should stand aside, but equally, he wasn't bad in Montreal, was he? Yeah, it's... I go up and down with Fernando, if I'm really honest, because again, it's a similar thing to to Gasly. They're holding a seat where a younger driver could come through. However, he's been sort of exciting to watch this season. He's he's a, an incredibly exciting driver in general. He's a very 
popular driver as well. So that's always great to see a driver like that bringing in fans and um, within the drivers, he seems quite popular. And also, I, I love hearing him talk in press conferences. I mean, he's great. He always has something interesting to say. He brings up good points at what the you know with what the FIA need to be looking at for certain races, certain tracks, certain things. He's an important chess piece within what we've got on the grid at the moment in, in Formula One. So, yeah, I, I'm fine with him staying. <laughs> he can stay for a bit longer if he wants to. Um, I don't think age is an issue at, at this point. Um, he hasn't been complaining of any of the porpoising that, that some of the older drivers have, have maybe, no names said, been struggling with. Uh, he seems he wouldn't be in that race seat if he didn't think that he could win another race, I think essentially is the important thing about Fernando Alonso. He thinks that that car is or will be ready to win a race with him driving it. So I think that's exciting. And uh, I think it was a shame to see him fall back so far during the Canadian Grand Prix. It wasn't a surprise to see him not fight uh, Max Verstappen at the first corner, as he said he was going to. But I think I think it's it's worth taking some of his... Uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Can't, I want to say inspiration, but that's not the right word. Exaggeration, sort of... embellishment. <laughs> it may be embellishment. Storytelling. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, let's go storytelling. It's nice to it's it's nice to live the fantasy. Yeah, Alonso's good value. I think he's been um, he's been good fun on track and off it during his comeback. Uh, he joked in what would it have been probably July, yeah, July 2020 when he did the deal with Renault to come back for the following season. Um, he said he was asked about his age then and he said that he's never known any um, qualifying session or race to be determined by the numbers on a passport um, and to his credit he has proven his uh, own predictions that age would not be a factor completely correct he's he's put in some good qualifying performances he's been fantastic in a lot of the races he's still as clever and wily and uh, sneaky and manipulative and cheeky as, as ever he is he has uh, all of his qualities and all of his vices as a driver and a person remain undimmed after his time away from Formula One. He seems to be going from strength to strength. And I genuinely think even if you've got a driver like Piastri, and this is probably the highest compliment I can pay, pay to Alonso in this context, I don't think you move Alonso aside even for, even for a driver like Piastri. So while it is frustrating, and I do understand why some people take the view that Alonso's the past and Piastri's the future, why the hell are they persevering with him? He's Fernando Alonso. He's brilliant. He is absolutely one of the 20 best drivers in the world and he should be on the Formula 1 grid. That's the thing. There's always this phrase that's used to justify promoting youngsters of if you're good enough, you're old enough. Well, if you're good enough, you're also young enough. And in Alonso's case, that absolutely applies. He's a world-class driver. He is a great Formula 1 driver, even though his statistics are rather dwarfed by that of, say, Lewis Hamilton. But we know how good Fernando Alonso still is. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.
One of the more painful moments in Canada last weekend was Mick Schumacher retiring from seventh place in the 19th lap of the race. He's still yet to score a point. And as Gunter Steiner points out, there's a huge amount of pressure on him, particularly in the German media. What do you make of his difficulties, Claire? I mean, it's just, it's it's not what he wants, for one. It's not what Steiner wants. It's not what the team wants. And in Canada, both he and... Kevin Magnuson, first name basis nearly there. They qualified so well and they had such a happy Saturday. And it was so, I know obviously we don't have favoritism or anything like that. You know, we're all you know, journalists, blah, blah, blah. But, but it is nice to see when a team that has struggled, especially with the struggles they had at the beginning of the season, uh, you know, with, with a driver change and all sorts of things like that. It is nice to see a team do well. And, and that was really nice to see Schumacher and Magnuson both in the top 10 both ready for points, both keen. To, and then to see the car in the gravel when he was in seven, it was just, it was one of those moments where you just go, give give him a break. Come on, like just give him some points. It's, yeah. But but the thing is, I think with looking away from the sort of rom- romanticizing of, of um, Schumacher getting points, I think it does come down to whether he is a good enough player driver at this stage we know that obviously his father was an incredible driver we know that he is all the drivers on you know on the grid have got a certain amount of of quality otherwise they wouldn't be able to drive these cars at the speed they do it's easy to say oh whichever driver isn't very good but the fact is is that they have all got a certain level of skill and they've made their way to formula one so they are there for certain reasons i i I wonder if if we haven't seen the unlocked version of what we may see from Mick in the future. I, f- I find it difficult because I don't know whether it's the car that's struggling or whether it's the driver that's struggling or whether it's the the side of not having enough confidence that's struggling. I, do- I don't know which piece of the puzzle we're missing with Mick. I think he will score points eventually this season, but I just don't know which puzzle piece we're missing. Does that make, is that, is that a good analogy where we're trying to miss the piece of the puzzle? It's especially good with the hand motions you're doing. I put it yeah, together right, a puzzle, you. so it, it, it works well. But he, there's no question he's capable of scoring points. He, he did show that yeah. in Canada. He just didn't actually score any. But you've been taking a look at, at Mick Schumacher. You did a, a piece on him recently, Scott. He, he has had a tricky season, hasn't he? Because... What is clear is he hasn't been at Kevin Magnussen's level. That's probably the big concern for him in terms of his performance level as a Grand Prix driver. Yeah, um, the way I kind of saw it after Canada is the one of the cliches across all sports, really, not just Formula One, is you're basically only as good as your last performance. And after Monaco, that was really, really bad for, for, for Mick and he was under a lot of pressure. After Azerbaijan, he didn't crash, but it was an anonymous weekend. It was a really below par weekend. He'd um, he didn't get the track running. He wanted an FP1, which put him on the back foot, but he never looked like recovering from that. So then, that's really concerning. After Canada, why would you get rid of that driver? Like he, that that version of of Schumacher is the 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 driver who won Formula Three and Formula Two. Um, so if he if he can piece together weekends like that. Then, then there's no decision for Haas to make, really. It makes sense to keep him on. He will, if he drives like he did in Canada, he won't crash. He will qualify and finish in the top 10 of that, I'm sure. He will score points. He will be an asset to the team. At the moment, he's not, it's not that he's not even an asset. Like he's costing the team so much, or he has. So he's had this ultimatum from Haas. He's responded to it very well off track. He's very calm. He's, he's not letting it bother him. He doesn't mind that. Uh, that, that Hass and you know Gunsteiner are saying these things. Um, his attitude to it is absolutely spot on. Canada was the first time since that ultimatum where he then really looked like he was going to deliver it on track. More of that, and he doesn't have a problem. I think that's the thing, isn't it? That we saw this big crash in Jeddah, and then we saw the another big crash in Monaco, and then your confidence. It must it must be a confidence thing because, like you say, he qualified so well in Canada. It almost looked like a completely different driver. I, I, do, I just, I, I guess that's the puzzle piece that I think is missing. He's not. It's not that he's not talented. We know he's talented. Like like you say, Scott, he's one F two. He's one F three. You know, it's he's got the talent, but there is something that that is missing um, in that whole thing and. And I think maybe the kick that he got up the backside from Steiner was probably 
helpful in Baku. I mean, we were all sitting in in that press conference listening to to going to, to talk about it with Mick at the table next to us. You know, he was he was quite happy to say. No, if he crashes in Baku, we're going to have to have a serious conversation about where this future is going. So Mick is aware, and Canada, like you say, was a, was a great response. It feels like he just needs to get that point on the board as a starting point. He's probably not helped in terms of the fact that Haas has been a team that hasn't scored the points globally, if you like, as it should have done this year. Magnussen hasn't scored as many points as he should have done as well. So there's also part of that general... Uh, sort of cascade of things just going wrong for for that team uh, as well. But yeah, you know he'll just be desperate. He'd love a nice, boring race to 10th at Silverstone. Just get off the scoreboard, get, get on the scoreboard and can work from there. And Scott, talking of Silverstone and the British Grand Prix, that's a track where Mercedes has thrived historically, winning eight of the last 10 races there. It's also a track that's reasonably smooth since it was resurfaced a few years ago after the big problems they had with bumps. It's full of high-speed corners where the Mercedes is at its best. Is that enough to make it a contender this weekend, do you think? When you started talking about Silverstone and the British Grand Prix there, Ed, I thought you were going to ask me if I was looking forward to finally being back at my home race for the first time since before the pandemic. It's not a Grand Prix and a stop. Uh, very, very good. I, I'm very much looking forward to being back at Silverstone. I haven't been there since the 2019 race, so they're looking forward to it. I think um, I'm probably looking forward to it a bit more than Mercedes. I know that they are optimistic it will suit them a bit better, probably a little bit more like they had in Spain. I don't want to get too carried away because basically I still see this as a car that is six probably five or six temps off at best in qualifying, and then it's probably two or three temps off at best in the race. There is a big, big step that it makes on on Sundays, and um, Mike Elliott, the technical director, reckons that they probably could make the car a bit quicker in qualifying and close that gap, but they'd have too much of a compromise then on on race pace, which tells you a little bit about the the delicate nature of the balance that they have to to get that package working properly. I think... It would be a surprise to me at Silverstone if they were on under threat as the third fastest team in qualifying because that is what we've seen at pretty much every race now. They've been beaten by another team in in, in qualifying. They let these other cars just slip in there to, 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 to grab a slightly better grid position um, and then they lose a bit of time obviously getting back to where they should be which is best of the rest in the race. At Silverstone, I would expect a more straightforward qualifying and I'd expect them to at least be on the third row of the grid, both cars. And then in the race, I think it's probably going to be more likely to be a lonely run than it is to be, you know, nipping at the heels of the Ferraris and Red Bulls. But to be honest, I know that's not what they want and I know that's not what the drivers want and that's what their fans want. But after the last few races, which have generally been a bit complicated for at least one car, I think they take that. I think they take a quiet comfortable run to be in third best and just trying to see what they've learned about the car on a more conventional circuit after obviously a run of races with quirky conditions or or track characteristics or or you know even weather in 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 Canada and Monaco yeah it feels most likely as if they're going to be a stronger third but still not strong enough to be suddenly bothering Red Bulls and and Ferraris uh, fighting for victory obviously Silverstone's a a funny circuit now because it's we've talked about this previously on the podcast, it's a bit more of a compromise circuit aero-wise rather than a, a kind of maximum downforce circuit as it was as the cars have got quicker and grippier. And particularly with these ground effect cars, the high speed corner performance is really, really strong. So that won't really change with, with these cars. So it, it's perhaps not quite as suitable as Barcelona from uh, for, for, from that regard. But yeah, it's uh, going to be a bit of a disappointment for the, I guess, the, the home fans that they won't have a driver necessarily fighting for victory but that's that's the case for most sets of home fans in uh, in formula one so they've had plenty of british success there over over the years i mean in fairness if there's the reliability issues from ferrari and from red bull again then you never know <laughs> we could we could see something well, that's a good point they should be i would think as scott alluded to relatively untroubled as, as third best so yeah it, it, it could be possible and there's always been at least one mercedes up there picking up the pieces uh, picking up sort of third, fourth, fifth, sixth consistently. So yeah, it's it's, it's eminently possible. 
Now, as regular listeners will know, the members of the Race Members Club can send in questions for this podcast, primarily for our race review episodes, but we do sometimes take questions in other episodes. We'll also be doing a special episode exclusively for members next week, so members can send in their questions to the usual place. And if you want to join in, head to therace.com, or don't forget the hyphen, and click on Join the Race to find out more. But Scott, here's a question we didn't get to use on last week's podcast about Mercedes from Guy from Wisconsin from Guy from Wisconsin, USA, who says it's starting to become increasingly clear that Mercedes has got this car all wrong. It begs the question, how does a team that dominates an entire era of racing suddenly fall so far, so fast? I've been starting to wonder if the talent that has been plucked from Brackley and Bricksworth by other teams has finally caught up with them. How many of these changes have there been over the past few years? I don't think it's a personnel issue. I think it is highlighting something about their methods, um, not necessarily their resources, but potentially their uh, in, infra, their design infrastructure, and also just the you know the car philosophies and techniques that they've employed over recent years. That that would be my sort of best guess of uh, of where it's gone wrong because we we've heard snippets of what it is that they've struggled with for for, for this year. You know the the fact that you couldn't you couldn't get the cars on a wind in a wind tunnel to replicate what the um what the phenomenon of the the 2022 cars on the ground effect would be in terms of porpoising for example but could they have if they had a slightly more sophisticated or advanced set of um you know if they if their CFD infrastructure was uh was slightly better not saying that they would have been able to predict this or preempt it but would they have gone down a slightly different path that potentially ironed out these characteristics before they hit the track or would they have been able to react to the problems they found in testing faster if they had slightly different methods here. We've also heard about, you know, with, with the changes that have been made uh, on the suspension for this year's car, made them a lot more simple compared to where they've been before. And Mercedes was very much on top of the sophisticated way of getting the suspension of the cars to to, to, to work really, really nicely with the way that they use the dampers in, in particular. And it feels like this year they're being punished because they have naturally shorter suspension travel, but they can't. They don't have the damper trickery, basically taking out all of the um, the harshness of of the ride, and get the impression that within Mercedes they 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 feel like that was a change that was made to not catch them out, but to hurt them because that was an area in which they excelled. So doesn't when this hap- when this sort of thing happens if you if if both of those things are true which i think they are because that is based on what senior people within the organization have said really doesn't take much for those to com- to combine and put them on a on the back foot to begin with and then also limit the way in which they can respond to it which is why it's taken them so co- so long to get back on top of the situation so it's very uh very tricky for them. The reason I don't think it's personnel related is because that they have lost people in the past and they have made significant senior transitions within the organisation and handled it very well. So I think they're very good at that part of things. I think this is specific to the technical challenges of the 2022 rules. Yeah, they've ended up stuck in a bit of a, a corner ultimately with the, the car philosophy we also talk of because they need a stiff mechanical platform that holds the car in a certain way because that's what they've had historically. They're struggling to do that properly without the Savage Ride. The aero is designed to work with that. So it's not even as if you can change one thing. You've got to make aero changes, mechanical changes. Effectively, you have got to change the car philosophy to to make it work. It's just too much to, to do at this stage. But it is interesting. Claire, do you think it's a positive to see a team like this struggling Finally, I'm not saying from people saying who don't like Mercedes and don't want them to do well, but at least it does show that it's actually very, very, very difficult, isn't it, to make a good Grand Prix car, particularly to do it year after year after year, as Mercedes have done. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I get what you mean by positive, but I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure I, I buy into positive uh, so much as a word because you know you're looking at, at McLaren, who were also really struggling, who were starting to unlock something last season, and and that was really positive for them. They'd had a really really tough time last season. They were they were really starting to show that they had they'd unlocked something, and then this season that you know they were almost back struggling to where they were a couple of years ago. For Mercedes, I think it. I think for people watching, it's it's exciting because we get it. We get new title protagonists coming through. Ferrari on a rise, you know, and then you've got 
Red Bull's still on top. It's exciting in terms of, of that. And yeah, and I think it does show how difficult these cars are to get your head around, especially with the new regulations. I, I think a lot of people, when they were talking about the regulation changes next season, said, oh, well, it'll still be the same people on top. It's still going to be Red Bull. It's still going to be Mercedes. And it's still going to be Ferrari. They're not wrong, but it hasn't been easy for any of them, really. I mean, Red um, Ferrari, I would say, were the team that hooked it up the quickest in in terms of of who was starting to look strongest first red bull weren't far away and and then i think the rest of the te- the rest of the the grid are really struggling with these new cars whether it's porpoising or the the aero whatever it is every single team has got their own issues with with a car and and i think yeah that's great it shows that the development of formula 1 the development of the new regulations and and how hard these teams have to work for their championships. Yes, Mercedes got it right for seven years, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll get it right for the next seven years. And I think it is exciting and it is fun to watch. And But I do, yeah, I do, I do feel for them. I, do, I know I shouldn't, but I do feel for the McLarens and I do feel for the Mercedes because I just think it, it, you can see their frustration and the drivers... They've got good drivers. George is great. Lewis is great. Danny is great. And Lando, they are very great. They're they're excellent drivers. So for me, I do feel for the drivers the most that they haven't been given the car that they they wanted. I think Toto used a a word that I won't use on this podcast to describe the car. And yeah, it must be be incredibly difficult when you know you can drive a car, but you haven't been given the the car. It's like when you you go to Tesco's and you get one of those trolleys with a wobbly wheel and you can never quite get it to get the right way. That's how I, that's how I feel that I would feel about it. And they are really annoying, those trolleys. Yeah, nobody wants a porpoising shopping trolley. That's certainly the uh, <laughs> certainly the case. But the, the real test comes next year when these teams have to show that they've learned from the experience of this year. I, I always feel that teams are allowed to go in the wrong direction for a bit because it can happen. But it's how they learn from that and how quickly they recover that's always a, a very, very good test of them. Well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Claire Cottingham, for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there. And also check out some of our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and the Race IndyCar podcast. We've got Formula E and a MotoGP podcast as well. And also have a look at our YouTube channel. Just search for The Race. Stay with us on The Race F1 podcast for everything you need to know from the British Grand Prix. The Athletic.